the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, with all of this emphasis that we've seen this morning in Scripture over morning, are we then to conclude that citizens of the kingdom are depressed people? I think that's a logical question. Are we to walk about downcast and and sullen about our many sins? The answer to that is emphatically no. No, because Jesus concluded this beatitude with a precious promise that keeps us from being morose, keeps us from being miserable over our sins. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, that those who mourn will be blessed. Let's consider that statement today on Verse by Verse. Welcome to the conclusion of Pastor Steve's third message in a series of messages concerning the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. At Lakeside and here at Verse by Verse Ministries, we believe that the best way to cover the entire Word of God is one verse at a time. Last time, Pastor Steve told us that mourning for our own sins is a good thing to do. Let's resume the class at that point. Here is Pastor Steve. But there's something else to consider. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, he certainly intended by that statement that the mourning would include the sins of others as well as our own sins. It's, it's, it, we would be wrong to say, well, we just, he just meant that we mourn over our, our sin, our own sin. That's true. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. In other words, not only is the faithful child of, of God grieved over his own personal sinfulness, but it, but it grieves him to see the wasted lives of those who sin against the God he loves. That's what Scripture teaches. Psalm 119, David said in verse 136, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Isn't that interesting? David said that. He looked out, he saw his own people and and others not obeying the law, and he said, "I, I weep over it. That's when your heart is broken for the sinfulness of others. That's what ought to be in our own lives. Paul, I remind you, rebuked the church at Corinth because when there was immorality going on there, Paul said, you're not mourning. You're, you're proud about it. And I take it what he meant by that is that they were uh, tolerating it and they were very, very uh, pleased and, and proud of their tolerance. Paul said, tolerance, you ought to be mourning what this man has done. You should mourn him as you discipline him. And I remind you, too, that Paul told the Corinthians in his second letter, he explained his heartache over them and the writing of his first letter. And he said this, I wrote to you with many tears. It's very possible that the original manuscript of 1 Corinthians, which we don't have, no one one does, but it's very possible that there were literal 
tears on or, or tear stains on that manuscript. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was noted as the weeping prophet because he lamented so much over the sins of his, his people Israel. And mourning for, for others certainly characterized the Lord himself. You know, it's very interesting that there is no record in Scripture that Jesus ever laughed. Now, I'm not saying he didn't laugh, but there's no record that he ever laughed. And I realize that's an argument from silence, but uh, that's a pretty uh, loud statement. But there are many statements that he mourned, many statements that he that he we wept and, and grieved. He is known as the man of sorrows and one acquainted with what? Grief. It's not grief over his own sin. He had none. So where's the grief? It's grief over us. Remember how he wept, literally wept over Jerusalem because of their rejection of him. On another occasion, his heart was so broken over the damaging effect that sin had upon people at the grave of his friend Lazarus, that the Bible gives us the briefest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. Uh, Why was he weeping? It could not be because of of Lazarus, because he was going to raise Lazarus momentarily. That wouldn't make sense. Why would you weep if you're going to raise him and see him in a moment? Jesus knew that. No, I believe he he was grieving and weeping because he saw the the heartache that comes from from sin's impact on people. He saw the mourners all around him. He saw the sadness and it and it pained his heart. And he saw the damaging effects of sin. And the Bible says he wept. And you know what? That should be our response to sin that's all around us as well. When you and I read about the atrocities that go on in our world, we read it in the newspaper, or you see it on television news, or you observe it in the lives of friends and relatives and people you know, it should evoke not only feelings of disgust, I'm talking about specifically the atrocities, but also it should evoke feelings of of mourning and grieving. Here's how one Bible teacher explained how the true Christian should react to the sin in, in others that he sees all around him. He wrote, he must mourn because of the very nature of sin itself, because it has ever entered into the world and has led to these terrible results. Indeed, he mourns because he has some understanding of what sin means to God, of God's utter abhorrence and hatred of it, this terrible thing that would stab, as it were, into the very heart of God if it could. This rebelliousness and arrogance of man, the results of listening to Satan, it grieves him and he mourns because of it. So I say to you, be careful about growing callous to the sins of others. And it is so easy to do that because we're so familiar with the sins of others in our, in our media-saturated world. We are so familiar with the sins of others all around the globe. But be careful that you don't become uncaring and indifferent because you are so familiar. Any sin in any form committed by anyone should grieve us. And if it doesn't, it simply means if you're a believer that you need a fresh glimpse of God's holiness. It ought to break your heart. It ought to break your heart. It should not just be news to you. It ought to be a grievous thing to hear or see. Now, with all of this emphasis that we've seen this morning in Scripture over mourning, are we then to conclude that that citizens of the kingdom are depressed people? I think that's a logical question. Are we to walk about downcast and and sullen about our many sins? The answer to that is emphatically no. 
No, because Jesus concluded this beatitude with a precious promise that keeps us from being morose, keeps us from being miserable over our sins. Not only did he say, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, but he said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be what? Comforted. So let's examine that phrase. What did Jesus mean by comforted? Well, this is the specific result of being blessed. This is the result of being blessed, the comfort. You see, the blessing is not in mourning itself. There's no virtue in mourning. There's no blessing in mourning. That's not where the blessing is. The blessing is in the truth that God comforts those who mourn over sin. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. And it's this wonderful comfort that keeps us from being morbid and and gloomy people. Let me explain. Let me put this together for us. First of all, we need to discover what, what did Jesus specifically mean about this comfort? In what way will those who mourn be comforted? The comfort that he's referring to is a present comfort. It's not something you get at the end of life when you die. It's not something reserved for a far distant prophetic future event. That's not what he's referring to. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, the shall be doesn't refer to something that's in the distant future. The thought here is that the comfort comes right after the mourning. That's why it's presented shall be. But it's immediate. In other words, blessed are those who mourn, for they immediately will be comforted. They will immediately be comforted. So what kind of present comfort is Jesus talking about? The only comfort... The only comfort that can relieve the stress of a guilt-ridden individual is the comfort that comes from being forgiven of our sins. The sins that bother us, in Christ they are forgiven, completely forgiven. Past, present, and future, judicially wiped out. The Bible says, I will remember your sins no more. That doesn't mean that God forgets. He doesn't have amnesia. It does mean, though, that he will remember them no more in the sense that he he chooses because of Christ's atoning work. He chooses by his mercy and grace and because his holiness has been satisfied to no longer hold sin against us. That's exactly what it means. And that's why David, in Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, said, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven! whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David said it's a blessed thing, a comforting thing to be forgiven. That's exactly what Jesus means here. See, here's, here's how it works. Let me, let me put it together. When we come under deep conviction of, of sin, I'm talking about as the Lord is working in your hearts, bringing you to salvation. You come under deep conviction of sin because the Lord has opened your your eyes. He's opened your hearts to see how, how utterly depraved you really are. And you also see how holy and just he is. You first see that because you can't see his your sinfulness unless you see his holiness. So you see that he's holy. You see that he's just. But in seeing his perfection, you see how how far short you have fallen of that glory. You see that you're a wicked sinner. No hope. No hope of of ever pleasing God with your own merit. And so you're devastated because not only do you realize you deserve eternal judgment, but you realize what a wicked individual you really are. And so you mourn. 
You're disgusted with your behavior. You're disgusted with your attitude. You're disgusted with your sinfulness. But as you're mourning over your sin, your many sins, and I don't believe God shows us initially all of our sins, we'd all die of heart attacks right on the spot. But as you you mourn over your many sins, you see another side of God. You've seen his holiness. You've seen his justice and righteousness. But now you begin to see that he's not only holy and just, but he's merciful. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's gracious. And in his mercy, he actually became a man. He became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, in dying for, for sinners, satisfied his own demands for justice. He was the satisfaction. The Bible's big word for that is propitiation. He satisfied the holiness of God by his own punishment or being punished in in our place. Therefore, when the Lord draws us to himself to save our souls, we come to him as guilt-ridden, broken, grieving sinners, mourning over the great wickedness we see in our lives, but in turning to him for salvation. Salvation from these many sins, we, we experience the incredible comfort that comes through forgiveness. It's a paradox. We're mourning, but we're comforted in our mourning because we understand that there is complete forgiveness, not partial, but complete forgiveness based on the atoning work of Christ and that alone. Because those who mourn are those who are comforted. And we're the only ones, folks, who can experience this comfort. You must mourn before you're comforted. We're the only ones, because we're the only ones who experience God's saving forgiveness. That's why Isaiah 61, it's a prophetic passage. Jesus referred to it in, uh, I believe it's Luke 4, in, when he got up in the synagogue in Nazareth. He said, this is, is spoken of me. Isaiah referred to, to the Messiah as one who will bind up the brokenhearted. He said he'll comfort all who mourn. Simeon in the temple, when, when Mary and Joseph brought the infant Jesus into the temple shortly after he was born, said that called him the consolation of Israel. He is the consolation of Israel. He's the consolation of everyone who comes to him for salvation. That's why at the end of Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He means heavy laden with sin, weary with sin. He's not talking about physically being tired. That might come with it, but he's talking about being heavy laden, burdened with your sin. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's the comfort, the blessed comfort. But this comfort is not limited to our salvation experience alone. It, too, is part of the ongoing Christian life. Because every time we sin, we are driven. We ought to be driven to the Lord to confess our sin. And as we confess our sin, he continues to forgive us. It's not the judicial initial forgiveness. That covers everything for eternity. But this is the daily cleansing. This is the fellowship forgiveness. This is the restoration to, to joy in our lives. The moment we turn to him in repentance, he cleanses us and he returns the peace and the joy that we forfeit when we sin. That's how it works. That's the blessed comfort of Christian of the Christian today. And in the future, you know what happens? You'll experience this comfort in its fullness. 
You'll experience it in its fullness because there, there won't be any more personal sin to grieve over. And that is what the Bible is referring to when it says, at that time, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll no longer be any death. There'll no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. That's found in Revelation 21.4 and how appropriate at the end of it all in the eternal state we'll know the, the fullness of this comfort that we, that we taste today. But folks, until that time arrives, we, we continue to mourn over our sin. And at the same time, we continue to be comforted, comforted by his ongoing forgiveness. And you know what? That's the balance. That's the balance between grief and comfort that keeps us from becoming gloomy, depressed people. Don't ever be like that. You don't ever want to be like that. I, I had read uh, in the Puritan era, of a woman who on her wedding day refused to wear a white dress. She was dressed all in black because she just felt that uh, her Christian faith was no laughing matter. I don't know what her husband thought about it, but um, that, that's just a distortion of what the Bible teaches. These citizens of the kingdom, in spite of their continual eternal grief, we're, we're not miserable people. We're not like that. At the same time that we're weeping over our sins, and that's something internal uh, that others don't see. We don't, we don't put on a show. We don't, that, that would be like, um, like fasting and, and letting everybody know about it. Oh, I'm, I'm weeping over my sins. Don't do that. That's pseudo-spirituality. That's not what the Bible is talking about. That's internal. You know it, and God knows it, but others don't need to know it. But at the same time that we're weeping over our sins internally, we're rejoicing because of God's grace and mercy, and others ought to know about that. Remember, if you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, notify your face. That's, that's exactly it. You see, it's this paradoxical perspective that gives us a warmth and an, and an affection that makes us attractive to unbelievers. Nobody's attractive to anybody who's gloomy. Nobody wants to be around people like that. Not even believers want to be around other believers like that, let alone unbelievers. No, this is the way when there ought to be joy that characterizes your life, not, not misery, not misery. But without God's comfort, you know what? And without God's forgiveness, there is misery. That's what Jesus meant. You laugh now, but in the future, you'll, you'll mourn and weep. There is no comfort apart from the forgiveness found in Christ. If you die before turning to Christ for salvation, you will only experience torment forever because God is holy. And he will not make an exception and say, well, you're such a nice person. Come on in. It doesn't work that way. You're not a nice person. I'm not a nice person. Not in our hearts. And God knows that. And so there is no hope for any comfort outside of Christ. So I, I, I urge you, if you've never become a true Christian by repenting and trusting Christ to save you, then do so. Do so immediately. Admit your sinful rebellion towards him and you will experience not only mourning over your sin, but comfort over forgiveness as well. And if you're already a citizen of his kingdom, then you need to make sure that there is nothing that is hindering you from mourning over your sin. And I want to I want to just bring this together by saying there there are several things you can do that will keep you from having any hindrances to to mourning. Let me let me give you two of them. Two of them. How do we remove any any hindrances to mourning in our lives? Number one, have a clear view of God's character. Have a clear view of God's character. By that I mean when you study the Bible, study the Bible looking not just for promises for yourself, 
but look to understand about God's nature and his attributes, his righteousness, his holiness, his love, his mercy, his power, his sovereignty, all of all of these things and so many more of his attributes, because against the backdrop of his character, you will see your sin and you will mourn over it. I encourage you to read books that, that deal with those kinds of subjects about God himself. So remove the hindrance to mourning by, by learning more about God, who he is. Secondly, have a clear view of yourself. Some people don't have a clear view of themselves. They are self-deceived. How do you get a clear view of yourself? Well, I would suggest take time during the day, perhaps at the end of the day. That's what uh, the ancients used to do at the end of the day to look back and reflect upon your activities, your attitudes of the day. How have you spoken to others today? Kind, sharp. What's been your attitude throughout the day? Impatient or has it been very patient? Have you harbored any ill thoughts towards anyone, even if they don't know about it? God knows. Have you uh, done something you shouldn't have done? Have you not done something you should have done? And questions like that. By taking the time to run over these things in your in your mind, you will become aware of your sins and you will grieve. See, you don't ever want to become so busy with activities, even activities in the Lord's service, that you don't have time to examine yourself for any sin that needs to be addressed. And how do you address it? By mourning, by confessing it, and by experiencing his marvelous comfort that comes through forgiveness. Let's bow for prayer. It may be that some of you need to ask the Lord to break your heart over first your own sin and then the sins of others. You, you can't induce that emotionally. That, that would be phony. That has to come from God. Don't, don't try to bring this on. Get a clear glimpse of God, clear glimpse of your sin, and you'll be broken. God loves a broken, contrite heart before him. The world doesn't love that. They despise it. As I said, throws a wet blanket on their party. But citizens of the kingdom are different from the world. That's why you're in the kingdom. You follow the king, who was a weeper and knew what it was to lament. In fact, I'm, I'm reminded that one day Jesus said, Whom do men say that I am? Someone said to him, Some say, you're Jeremiah the prophet. Now, why would they say that? Probably because he wept like Jeremiah. The weeping was so characteristic of his life that it reminded them of the weeping prophet, and they thought he's come back. You need to weep over your sin. Are you broken? Get a clear glimpse of who God is, a clear glimpse of who you are, and you will. How about the sins of others? Have you grown, as I find my own heart, calloused to the news, indifferent, so familiar with it, doesn't seem to penetrate? This is where we need to ask the Lord to, to break us in a real, genuine way. And have you been rejoicing in God's forgiveness? Forgiveness is, is not something you feel, it's something you take by faith. If you're in Christ, and thank God for his forgiveness. 
And don't buy into the modern psychological term where you have to forgive yourself. The Bible doesn't teach that. You didn't sin against you. You sinned against him. You need to thank God for his forgiveness, whether you feel like you're forgiven or not. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. Otherwise, we make God a liar, and that's not true. Well, Father, thank you for your word penetrating paradox of a beatitude. But Lord, I pray that you'll break my heart over my sin and the sins of of others, but I pray also that you'll do that with, with all of our people. And I pray especially for those who are outside of the kingdom that they might see their sinfulness and be led by the Holy Spirit to come to the Savior. And that they would weep over their own sin and experience the joy and the comfort that comes with forgiveness. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll use your word greatly in our lives. I pray that we'll be different. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to have that balance of, of not being gloomy, but internally weeping and yet being attractive people on the outside, rejoicing and enjoying the peace and the relationship and the forgiveness that we have in you. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Steve will be back next time on Verse by Verse with another message from the Sermon on the Mount. These Bible classes of the air are extensions of that expository teaching ministry produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Look us up on the web at versebyverseradio.org. We have today's class as well as hundreds of previous classes available there for free downloading. Or you can try our free podcasting service. And please remember that the generous gifts and faithful prayers of our supporters are essential parts of this ministry. The early verses of the Sermon on the Mount are called the Beatitudes. They are full of often confusing statements. We just finished three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.